Hear the word of God as it is written in Mark chapter 1, reading from verse 1. John the Baptist prepares the way. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Jared. I'm just going to adjust this because Josh asked me to. Um, and I'm the pastor or minister here at High Wycombe Church. It's wonderful to have you with us this morning. And um, we're blessed to be able to gather together around God's Word this morning. Um, my Bible is under here. Uh, there we go. Here it is. Um, and uh, we're going to hear what, what God has to say to us through His Word. Uh, we're going to be beginning by looking at the Gospel of Mark uh, this morning with a bit of an overview, uh, particularly focusing on the first verse. Um, and we're going to work our way through Mark um, each Sunday. And then, God willing, we will finish Mark and then, and then we'll move on to other books of the Bible and we'll keep working our way through. And that way, God sets the agenda of what we study and um, that through the divinely inspired words recorded here in, in His Word. The Bible has no errors in it, no mistakes, and it's the only place to go to learn the truth about God. Uh, the Bible is God's spoken word to us, and it bears witness to the word of God, the Lord Jesus. And we pray, we talk to this God because we're dependent on him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're dependent upon him in every way. He who by his spirit gave these words enables us to understand them and apply them to our lives today. So we're going to come to God in prayer now. Please join me. <laughs> Father in heaven, we come before you with praise and thanksgiving. Thank you, great and glorious God, for your love. You are the great I am. The one who has always existed, exists now and will always exist. You are the creator, sustainer, and ruler of this whole world and everything in it. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us in the Bible and ultimately in the Lord Jesus, whom the Bible points to. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for coming to earth to save all those the Father has given you. Holy Spirit, we praise you, our comforter, helper, and advocate. This morning, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, have mercy on us and grant us eyes to see the truths of your word and ears to hear the awesome news about Jesus, the King who saves. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. 
So does anyone like crime shows? Yes. Oh, cool. Um, I know that that's a weird way to be starting the first High Wycombe sermon. You may be thinking to yourselves, um, but hear me out. Um, there's, there's a few fans in the room. I, I love watching crime shows, uh, especially a whodunit where I'm trying to work out uh, who did the crime in question. That kind of thing fascinates me. I love it when they give you just enough evidence, not a shred more, that you can work it out and you're mulling it over, talking it, uh, talking about it to your wife for hours on end and you set up the cork board with the little pins and the string and the photographs and the map. <laughs> no one else does that? <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> well, <but> anyway, <laughs> there's, there's a different kind of crime show, not called a whodunit, but a how catch em. And the idea of a how catch em is that they show you the crime straight up. Uh, they show you who did it and you're left to work out how, or you're left to see how it plays out, how all will be revealed. We as the viewers know who did it, but the characters don't. So we come at it from an informed perspective. Uh, well, Columbo is a TV show like that. Do we have any Columbo fans here? Nice. I, I've never really watched Columbo. Um, I'm more of a Magnum PI man myself. <laughs> Big Tom Selleck fan. <laughs> but uh, Columbo pioneered the How Catchem. Or did he? Because you see, Mark's Gospel, which is not in any way a crime novel, um, instead of being shaped like a whodunit, is much more like a How Catchem. We're not trying to work out who the person in question is. We're trying to. Uh, we're trying to. We're waiting to see how this person will be revealed. Uh, Mark tells us straight up who Jesus is, and then we get to see the people come to understand that truth. He tells us who Jesus is, and then his biography of Jesus shows different people slowly starting to grasp that reality. Uh, for those of us who've been around church a long time, we know who Jesus is, and I think sometimes we can forget that it took time for the people to learn who he is. Even the disciples took time to work it out. And it was only by God making it known to them that they came to know who Jesus is. This morning, as I said earlier, we're going to be looking at verse 1 and how that forms an overview for the rest of Mark's biography of Jesus. Verse 1 tells us two important truths uh, that line up with the two halves of Mark's gospel. And these two truths form our two points for today. And we'll continue to help us get our bearings as we work our way through Mark. Uh, the first one is that Jesus is the king. And the second one is the massive news about the king. The first half of Mark emphasizes that Jesus is the king. So that's chapters 1 to 8. And they focus on who he is. And the second half of Mark emphasizes the massive news about this king. So that is chapters 9 to 16. And they focus on what he came to do. These are not clear-cut distinctions. There's plenty of stuff about who Jesus is and what he came to do throughout the Gospel of Mark. Uh, but they're generally helpful in getting our bearings relative to where we find ourselves in the book. So let's begin with point one. Like our Columbo illustration, we know that Mark tells us up front who Jesus is. So who is Jesus? Well, the overwhelming emphasis of Mark is that Jesus is the king. Mark gives us two kingly titles for Jesus in his opening line. So right from the beginning, he tells us Jesus is the king. Twice. And as we'll see, this reality that Jesus is the king 
is central to the message of Mark. Mark uses kingly language in deliberate and specific ways to show that Jesus is the long-awaited king of the Jews, and not only king of the Jews, but king of the whole world. So how does he show us that Jesus is king of the Jews, firstly? Well, in verse 1, he tells us that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Christ and Son of God are both kingly titles that are used in the Old Testament. That's this part of our Bibles. Um, so it's like Mark has, has said, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus King, the King. He really wants us to get it, doesn't he? That Jesus is the King. Let's have a think about those two terms. Christ. Christ is a translation of Messiah and refers to the anointed one. We'll look at this in more detail in the coming weeks. But for now, it's worth mentioning that there are three types of anointed ones in the Old Testament. Um, and Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of all three. Um, one is a prophet, the one who speaks God's word. Priest is two, the one who mediates between God and man through sacrifice. And three, king, the one who rules over God's people. So that's what Christ is bringing to mind, the king who rules over God's people. And the son of God, that's the second term, echoes the Old Testament language of 2 Samuel chapter 7. In that passage, King David, who is one of the Old Testament kings, says that he wants to build God a house, a temple. But instead of David building God's house, God promises to build David's house, uh, his lineage. God promises the coming of the son of David who will build God's temple. But even more than that, God promises that the son of David is coming who is the son of God who will rule on God's throne forever. The kings of the Old Testament leave a lot to be desired, uh, to put it mildly, uh, and it's apparent that while we see partial fulfillment with Solomon, David's son, building the temple, the promised king of 2 Samuel 7 and the rest of the Old Testament hasn't shown up in the Old Testament. And Mark tells us that Jesus is that king. And like our Columbo illustration from earlier, we see people come to terms with that reality that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, throughout the book. Uh, one key example of this is, is kind of the, the turning point or hinge in, in Mark's gospel in chapter 8. Uh, there, Peter, who often speaks for the disciples, gets that Jesus is the Christ. Peter knows Jesus is this long-awaited king, but he doesn't get yet how Jesus will bring his kingdom in. That understanding only comes in later. In chapter 15, we see another key example where Jesus is crowned with a crown of thorns and the charge written against him is the king of the Jews. So it's clear that Mark is telling us that Jesus is the king of the Jews, but how is Jesus the king of the whole world? Well, you see that title there, it's the son of God in verse one. Well, that's, that's not only a Jewish title. It's a title that was used by the Romans as well. It was a kingly title given to Caesars, or as often was the case, taken by Caesars, who were regarded or regarded themselves as divine. 
To call Jesus the son of God is a direct challenge to Caesar's authority. It's to say that Jesus is the divine king, not Caesar. So in this short verse, Mark has masterfully shown us that Jesus is the king of the Jews, but not only the king of the Jews, Jesus is the divine king of the whole world. And going back to chapter 15 once more, after Jesus was crucified, there's this Roman centurion, the Roman official, who says about Jesus, truly this man was the son of God. Once more, we see someone come to grasp what Mark has told us up front about Jesus' kingship. Okay, so we've seen that Jesus is the king, that's clear. And now we're going to move to our second point, the massive news about the king. Mark tells us that this is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. And gospel means massive news. Okay, I want you to imagine a herald for a second. Uh, you know, uh, the guy who runs, town, runs into town back from the front line of war and blows the horn. I was practicing this this week. Culture can, can confirm that. Hear ye, hear ye. The king's message, victory is ours. Heralds declare amazing news, life-changing news. Something like the message of victory in battle. That's what gospel means. Massive news. Mark is telling us the massive news that King Jesus has arrived and is bringing his kingdom. So why is an historical biography news? Because the arrival of the king of the whole world and the bringing of his kingdom changes everything. Even though Jesus came 2,000 years ago, the arrival of the king of the whole world continues to have ongoing relevance forever. We know Jesus is the king. We know that this is massive news that he's come, the king has come. But why did he come? Why would he come? The why of Jesus coming to earth appears again and again in Mark. But a great passage to sum it up is Mark 10 verse 45. One that's worth committing to memory. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In this passage, Jesus tells us two core truths. The first is that we need to be saved. The fact that we need to be ransomed tells us that there is something wrong. A ransom is a payment to set slaves free. It refers to paying the price to purchase slaves and their freedom. So we're slaves? To what? Well, Jesus is clearly the king of the whole world and deserving of all glory and praise and honor. But so often we don't live with him as our king, do we? We can lie to others. We can lie to ourselves. We can even try to lie to God but he sees through it all to our hearts. And if we're honest, deep down, we so often want to take the good gifts that God offers, but live life on our own terms. And that's what the Bible calls sin. We say to God, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me how to live my life. Uh, I'm the king. But there's only one king. There's only one ultimate king. That's Jesus. 
and for us to try and grasp at his throne for ourselves, to live life on our own terms, is to betray God, the giver of life. And God justly punishes that with eternal death in hell. And this state of rebellion against God, which we find ourselves in by nature, is what the Bible calls being slaves to sin. So the fact that we need to be ransomed, that a price needs to be paid, that we need to be bought out of slavery, as we read in Mark 10, tells us that we need saving. It tells us that we're rebels against God, deserving judgment and in desperate need of a saviour who will bear that judgment in our place. That was the first core truth we saw from Mark 10.45, that we need to be saved. The second is that Jesus is the king who came to save. Uh, We spoke about heralds earlier. And I don't know about you, but for me, that brings to my mind mental images of sort of oldie, worldie English kings who stayed in their castles drinking tea and eating scones while their soldiers went to the front lines and got killed. (laughs) The kind of kings who avoided suffering and sacrifice and stayed cosy, never risking their own livelihoods, let alone their lives. Those kind of kings are kind of like Lord Farquaad in Shrek, (laughs) who says, some of you will die, (laughs) but that is a sacrifice I am willing to make. Jesus is nothing like those kings. (laughs) Jesus is the complete opposite. Instead of avoiding sacrifice, Jesus, the eternal God, the Son, comes to the earth, becomes a human, one of us, and goes willingly to die on a cross in our place. Dying a death he did not deserve, to pay a debt he did not owe, for a people who owed a debt they could never pay. And the ransom price, the price he paid for our redemption, in that verse again, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave his life to save. He died on a cross, on a hill outside Jerusalem, taking God's righteous anger against our unrighteous evil upon himself. And he bore it in our place. Dying the death we deserved, that we might receive the eternal life that we don't deserve. And the world looks and thinks it's foolishness. Thinks this is absolutely ridiculous that our king died on a cross. But what looks like foolishness to the world is the wisdom of God. The ultimate rescue mission. Jesus establishes his kingdom and rescues his people in a way that looks like he's losing, but is in reality him winning. By dying our death and rising again, Jesus disarms and defeats sin, death, and the devil once and for all. So Jesus is the king, and the massive news is that he came to save sinners by giving his life in our place on the cross and rising again. And this raises the most important question we will ever ask ourselves. Is Jesus my king? Is Jesus my king? You see, Jesus has done everything for us. 
He's the king of the whole world who came to save by giving his life to pay our ransom. The price to set us free from our slavery to sin. But Jesus didn't ransom everyone. Do you see that in Mark 10:45? He gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' blood doesn't shield everyone from judgment in hell. Only those who listen to Jesus' call to turn away from our rebellion and trust him as Savior and King receive the free gift of life forever with him. When we come to Jesus in our helpless state, crying for mercy, it's then and only then that we receive the beautiful free gift that he offers to us of salvation. You see, we have a choice. And it has to do with whether we will receive the free gift Jesus offers us or whether we will reject it. Do we continue with our default living life our way, trying to be the king ourselves? Or do we come to the king who gave it all for us? Jesus, who died on that cross in our place and trust him alone for salvation. We need to ask ourselves, have I acknowledged that I'm a rebel against God and can do nothing to save myself? We can't say that we trust Jesus as our savior and king without recognizing first that we need saving. We need a rescuer and we can't save ourselves. We need Jesus, the king of the whole world who gave his life as a ransom for many. We need Jesus. Have I asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins? Have I put my trust in Jesus who alone is able to save? the king of the whole world, the king who came to save, is Jesus my king? The answers to these questions are of the utmost importance. Why? Because what we do with Jesus and the free gift of salvation he offers us determines where we spend forever. In hell under judgment as we all deserve, or face to face with Jesus in the beauty and splendor of the new creation, enjoying and praising him forever. Walking the Christian life is not easy. It doesn't make life easier, but it's worth it. Don't delay. Come to Jesus the Savior today and come and talk to me or any of the people up the front or around you after the service We'd love to pray with you and walk you through giving your life to Jesus. And you can do that today. I'm going to lead us in a prayer in a moment. And if you pray this and mean this, you can give your life to Jesus right now. After the service, I'll hang around the front. And if you'd like to come and chat to me, I'd love to talk to you further. Please join me as we pray. Father in heaven, we come before you with praise and thanksgiving. Lord Jesus, you are the king of the whole world. Lord, we confess that so often we do not give you the glory and honor you deserve as king. And instead, we grasp at your throne ourselves. We try to be the king of our own life. And Lord, we deserve your judgment for our rebellion. We thank you, Jesus, that the awesome news is that you are the king who saves 
the king who died in the place of sinners on the cross and rose triumphantly from the grave. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.